Long Days and Pleasant Nights. This week's guest is Jenna Stieber. She is a producer at Polygon.com, and it was a delight to meet her. I love what she does over there at that wonderful video game website. We have an excellent conversation about anxiety and depression and how to share that information with people when you are formally diagnosed. Also, self-care techniques. Also what makes art art and what makes media media and the difference between those two things also what kind of media to consume as a form of self-care and I want to say on that note um, the media I consume to make me feel better about the world when it's just very agonizing being alive and being part of it is this stuff at polygon.com it's a huge part of my life and I was screaming internally the whole time (laughs) I was talking to Jenna uh, because I just, I'm a huge fan of what they do and they make me so happy and I hope they make you happy. So you can go to polygon.com or their YouTube channel to check out all that wonderful content that they give. Also, there is an exhibit at the Museum of Moving Image. So if you're in New York, go check that out. We talk a little bit about that at the end of the program. If you like this podcast and want to see what else I'm up to, you can go to tristanjmiller.com. You can also go to waywardwordsmiths.wordpress.com to take a gander at all of our other podcasts, and there's a blog and all that stuff over there. If you want to support us not just with your ears but with your pocketbook, you can go to patreon.com slash waywordwordsmithsco. And that is all of the promotion I have, and I want to thank Janet again for coming on. I'm really excited to share this with you. Okay, let's get to it. You are like a a video producer, online, like media person thing. And how does one get a degree in that? And how did you like fall into that? Please tell me, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Since you asked please so many times, (laughs) I will tell you. Um, So my master's degree is in media and culture. Mm -hmm. So I I studied uh, basically like analyzing media. And for my first two years of that program, I taught intro to public speaking, which sucked. Yeah. Teaching is um, not a great uh, the no. state of our educational system is rough, <laughs> and students hate teachers, and teachers hate students, uh-huh. and if you just want to teach students and not get involved in that, it's very difficult. So I got mm-hmm. a research uh, fellowship the third year, mm-hmm. where I taught students how to use Premiere Pro and stuff like that. So basically mm-hmm. the same job I ended up doing in Washington. Okay. So I did that for a year, and then I got a job in Washington when I left grad school. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's fair. And, like, is, like, you... You said you had a degree in media studies. Is that like some like a modern version of like, like uh, my girlfriend is an art history major. I feel like they're kind of comparable because I mean like media is our version of art <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> yeah, on top of art itself. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very similar. So it, it's sort of the more advanced mm-hmm. version of like a lit degree. 
okay. where you would read literature and, and go through it and talk about the themes and why did the author write this and that. It's mm -hmm. like that, but for, for modern, mm -hmm. more modern pieces. Although, I say that a lot of people still study, like, there's radio historians oh. who do what I do, but for, like, old-time radio programs. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And what, in, in your estimation, then, like, what is the difference between art and media? Like, or is media just the thing you use? Like, because is that a blanket term and then art is under it? Or what? how would you define those things? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, Marshall McLuhan, who's a, a media theorist, would say that the medium is the message. So there are things innate in how you are telling a story that change the story. Mm -hmm. So if I have a palette or I have a... a, a a uh, piece of canvas that I'm drawing on. The mm -hmm. thing that I'm going to draw is different from if I have a pen and a paper. Mm -hmm. And it's just essentially different. The medium that you're using to express your message is going to change your message. Hmm. So I would say art and media are two different things that sometimes cross over. You can mm -hmm. have cinema that is art. Yeah. You can have a video game that is art. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean all media is art or all art is media. And what do you think the qualifiers are? for those two because is it just like an emotional level or a certain intellectual level or I would say that too much discussion is done about what makes something art sure <laughs> uh, and it, something to describe something as media is very easy because you yeah. can just pinpoint this is this is media yes absolutely. This is something that has been mediated by a human in order to do something yeah and that could be a cave wall drawing mm -hmm. which is also art yeah um, so it's a it's a good question, but I think it's also kind of an inane one. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I, I have no offense was taken. This yeah. is it is a bit odd though thinking about that sort of thing. Um, of like Specif yeah, specifically I studied video yeah. game culture and horror media. So yeah, that might that might make a finer <laughs> point on yeah on that. That also that that tracks. To be perfectly frank, that absolutely tracks. Yeah. Which is good that you figured out what you wanted to do right away. <laughs> Um, so, like, I'm curious to hear what, like, what you studied in within horror genre in general, and like, like, because there are a lot of weird tropes, and I do know that it kind of came out of science fiction um, in general. And could you just? I'm curious. Can you give me a little bit of like a history lesson on that, sure. or do you not want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want a history lesson on horror, or do you want a conversation about how I got into horror? Both. Okay. Both. <laughs> so I at the same time. Okay. Okay. Do one well, let me start <laughs> with. <laughs> so Mary Shelley is yeah. uh, one of the creators of both the horror and sci-fi genres mm -hmm. with Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and their horror exists and sci-fi pre-exists her, but she really put a finer point about what those genres would evolve into being. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of during that time period, like gothic horror. Uh, that is about sort of mostly about young women going to big castles and getting mm -hmm. scared by the masters there mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Uh, and then, I mean, there's no way to purview this without it becoming a much longer conversation. But sure. The, the, the gist of it is that horror changes through every era to represent the things that we're most concerned about in that era. Mm -hmm. uh, and that itself is a relatively modern mm -hmm. conversation. So you yeah. have a lot of like ancient horror stories that are about gods coming down and messing you up because you did something bad. So mm -hmm. they've, they've always, it's always sort of been a moral, mm -hmm. a, a, a method of sharing morality and mm -hmm. sharing what people should and should not be doing. 
yeah. with the most harshest punishments possible. <laughs> that makes sense. And how did you get into horror specifically then? Well, so I applied, when I applied to grad school, I specifically wanted to do video game studies. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing that exists yet, really. There really? are theorists who study video games in conjunction with other things. Mm -hmm. There is not a lot, like there's no, you can't go somewhere and do video game studies. That mm -hmm. does not yet exist. Interesting. So you go to a media school mm -hmm. and you take media classes. So there were classes on television and on radio and on cinema, uh, but there weren't any really classes on video games. So mm -hmm. I, I studied video games, but I also had to study something else because <laughs> if you are taking a class on archiving, there are only a handful of video game archives in the world, and if you're a grad student, you can't just bop down to <laughs> Texas and go to a video game archive. So I ended up having to sort of sub-specialize in horror, yeah. which I did because I love horror. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it is like a... I think video games are relatively a, a new me like medium as the internet, and I feel like we don't... Going back a little bit to like what is art, what is media, and like we're trying to still kind of figure that out. Would you agree? Disagree? What? What's, as someone who knows more than me about it, <laughs> like quite frankly, I'm just curious because I have no idea. Like, I mean, so we've had games have a longer mm -hmm. history than video games, and sure. we still haven't really studied them as mm -hmm. much as maybe we should. And part of the reason why is because we consider them frivolous. Mm -hmm. So if you consider something frivolous and not worth studying, then you don't study it. And that, you, don't, yeah. you don't develop a canon of literature yeah. around studying it and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more a matter of, and this leads back to your question about mm -hmm. what's media and what's art, is that because we don't, haven't until very recently considered video games worthwhile, we mm -hmm. haven't considered any of them art. And because we haven't considered any of them art, we haven't really considered them worth studying. Mm -hmm. and, and the same was true for, for radio for, like, a really, really long time. Until, mm -hmm. like, ooh, like the 70s. Yeah. We never, there was no real, like, radio studies hmm. that happened. Which is a shame because radio is really, really important. And we, uh, less so now than in, like, the 20s, 30s, 40s. But mm -hmm. it, it's the sort of thing where our academic purview reflects our... our Mm, reflects our, our value in objects. So if we study something, it's because we think that there is value in it. Mm -hmm. If we don't study something, it's because we don't think there's value in it. So mm. we have not studied video games from a cultural angle until pretty recently, mm -hmm. five, ten years. And do you think that is because uh, the, just the technology has gotten better or because it's become more mainstream? Both? I think we've reached a point where the people who grew up playing video games mm -hmm. are the people who are now interested in studying them and interested in funding mm -hmm. studies of them. and That absolutely makes sense. Yeah, so I think it's just sort of a, a matter of time mm -hmm. and where it, if you didn't grow up with video games and you came to them later in life, I think they might not have a big effect on you and so you might be better able to take them for granted. Mm -hmm. And so did you grow up playing a lot of video games as well and like what was that like what? i mean like a little uh -huh. um, my sister had a game boy we could not we, <laughs> we, we did not have like full yeah. consoles she had a game boy that i would take a lot and play a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah and just the one sister then yeah, one sister and two half brothers okay yeah. um and so like and where did you grow up uh, Southern Illinois, just uh, across the river from St. Louis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so the, the Midwest as well. Yes. I'm from Minnesota, so... Oh, yay. nice. Hey, what up? Yeah. Hey, Midwest. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, could you, like, 
so you didn't play video games a lot, so then what led you to study them later on down the road? Or did you get in more into them as you just got older? Or No, it was really in college I was getting my undergrad degree in uh, English literature because mm-hmm. uh, I was very, I'm very interested in humans and what humans do and why yeah. they do them. And uh-huh. it, studying media is a great way of doing that without having to talk to humans. <laughs> So, <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, if you go into sociology or psychology, you have to engage with humans a lot. And if yeah. that stresses you out, because uh, you think humans are a little bit terrible, and I love mm. humans, but they mm. are a little bit terrible. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so engaging with media is a great way of circumventing the human engagement mm-hmm. factor. So I was studying English literature and I had a friend who was like, you've got to play this game. It's called Portal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, buddy. Yeah. I, I mean, I Fine. still played games every once in a while. I just wasn't that into them. And and I was playing through Portal and yeah. I was like, oh, wow. So this is like a super feminist game. Mm-hmm. And my friend who showed it to me was like, no, it's just a game about puzzles. It's, not, it's <laughs> nothing to it. It's just a game about puzzles and cake. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, but it's like, there's like a clear feminist angle to this video game and Mm -hmm. he was very dismissive of it, but I knew I was right. (laughs) And so that was really fascinating to me. And so I started playing more and more games and that's, I mean, it's really common that people are just like, no, this is something you consume and throw away. Yeah. Um, With all media, not just Mm -hmm. video games, but with video games, it's, I think the exception that people stop and say, Hey, there's something really, really interesting being expressed in this video game. Um, so I was like, Portal's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I uh, graduated and spent a couple of years not doing much with my life. Uh-huh. And I was like, I should do something with my life. So I applied to grad school saying mm-hmm. I wanted to study video games because mm-hmm. of how Portal's a game where you shoot vulvas against the wall and then use them to jump through and, and explore areas. And mm-hmm. it's, that's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, yeah, okay, well. We'll let you study that. <laughs> so I did that. What a fascinating proposal. Yes, please come to our institution. Yeah, sometimes you yeah. roll your dice on vulvas. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you make it. You make it. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I also, to be perfectly honest, I'd never thought of that, but the minute you said that, I'm like, oh, no, that absolutely yeah. tracks. They're just big, yeah, they're big glowing vulvas. Mm-hmm. And, and then also, like, the two lead characters are also female, and yeah. that's very... I would say a feminist angle. <laughs> yeah. You did you take a break from like I follow you on Twitter and did you yeah. take a break recently or oh, yeah yeah just to be like hey I just need a minute this seems overwhelming <laughs> yeah yeah I like social media a lot in that it allows me again to engage with humans without always having to engage with humans. I'm so sorry I invited you over to my house to have a conversation. <laughs> Had I known, I would have just emailed you. I just, I like people a lot, but they can be terrible sometimes. Yeah. And social media is a lot like that, where mm-hmm. it, it's always fascinating to be a fly on the wall of people's lives through social mm-hmm. media, but sometimes... Sometimes things happen in the world and then Twitter or Facebook or anything is just flush with people responding mm-hmm. to it. And right now it's nice because it's like Brooklyn Nine-Nine just got renewed and yeah. everybody's so happy and posting amazing GIFs and videos mm-hmm. from it. And that's nice. But sometimes really shitty things happen mm-hmm. and people, everybody wants to have a take on it. Yeah. And those takes are always very fascinating as somebody who studies, again, media and rhetoric and, and how we express ourselves. Um, but a lot of times they're just bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're just trying to get a reaction then. Yeah, yeah, or they, we've, 
I find on social media, certain rhetorics get developed and then shared. And so mm-hmm. there's a thing going around right now where a lot of white people are surprised that black people have the police called on them when they're mm-hmm. in public spaces. Yeah. And that's really important. It's an important thing that's happening right now that news cycles are starting to actually cover. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who being like, in the last week, this has happened hundreds and hundreds of times across yeah. America. And it has been happening for decades. So yeah. It's good that people are aware of it. It's bad that people are just now aware of it. Yes. So it's that sort of thing. Yeah. And there it's like, I think just with the internet in general and the way we've developed the sharing thing, it is that double-edged sword of like, this has been going on for so long. And, but it's, I'm glad that it's now in the public eye, but there is always that like undercurrent of like, man, if we'd known, maybe we could have <laughs> done something about anything. But yeah, um, do you find, like, it also just, like, because you've spoken, uh, once again, on the the whole reason I have you on is, like, you were on Twitter talking about, like, it's... Mental illness. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, does you, do you think social media exacerbates that? Or do you think, um, do you use it as a coping mechanism for feeling either depressed or anxious or any of that sort of stuff? I mean, both, I would say. It it, it comes in tides (laughs) where sometimes it's nice to be able to reach out uh, to friends on social media. So not mm-hmm. just Twitter, but just any social media. Because um, I've moved around a lot in this great country of mm-hmm. ours. And you leave people behind whenever you move. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to disconnect from them entirely. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who I... Uh, if I'm depressed, I know I can go to. And if they're depressed, they know they can come to me and we'll we'll talk through things. Mm-hmm. So there's the very personal angle on social media. But then mm-hmm. we also have this broader sort of social media usage where it's anybody mm-hmm. anybody can see that and engage with that mm-hmm. and that's good and bad mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. it's 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 just too complicated to yeah. to to put a moral label on mm-hmm. but oh that's interesting yeah it it and that's the thing with with twitter is that you you have these tides yeah of 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 cultural rhetoric that that come and go and sometimes when they wash in it's really interesting and positive and i'm hitting the mic so much it's interesting and positive and, and enlightening and sometimes it's just bad sometimes mm-hmm. kanye says bad things yep. on the internet <laughs> and then and then your twitter feed is just that for three days yeah even if you don't follow kanye yeah. or or want to hear about kanye's bad takes on the world yeah or particularly care about anything that, yeah, that is, I did, because it does, I do often feel like you're like painted into a corner with the, because I feel like social media is just like a series of bubbles that you make for yourself of like who you want to hear from. But a lot of the time, if you follow like-minded people, they're all saying this, if someone screws up, Right. Or some something good happens. Like my feed has just been Brooklyn Nine Nine stuff. I've <laughs> yeah. I've never watched the show, but it's I'm like delightful. I've heard. Yeah. I've been meaning to, and I was like, oh man. Well, at least now I have an ex- exact endpoint. <laughs> but um, to catch up. But like, if you don't care about that, or if it affects you negatively, like there were there have been times where I'm like, this thing that's in the news cycle has been upsetting me, and so I have to just not engage, which is kind of. A kind of a bizarre position to be put in because in life if you someone says something to you you don't like you can either go <laughs> shut up or you can leave whereas like this thing that we kind of feel like we're required to have now yeah. it feels like we were constantly painted in the corners but did you find taking a break helped 
Yes. Uh, I, I, I always find taking a break helps because, well, to, to go back to, to rhetoric, mm-hmm. if you get on Twitter, there are always certain ideas that circulate. And mm-hmm. it's usually one person, some sort of tastemaker, some sort mm-hmm. of person who has two million followers, says something and then other people latch onto that idea and repeat it ad, ad nauseum. And mm-hmm. so it, it becomes less of, less even of a moralistic thing and more of, this is the prevailing idea. This is the the thought. This is the the argument that's getting circulated. And mm-hmm. and regardless of your politics, those ideas get circulated with very little thought. Sure. So somebody has said something smart, and other people repeat it again and again and again. And that's not really conversation. It's just puppetry. Mm-hmm. And that bums me out more than, not more than anything. There's a lot of very specific <laughs> yeah. rhetoric that bums me out more. But just yeah. the fact that people are circulating ideas because they heard somebody else, somebody that they respect say them without mm-hmm. really digging into them or being able to defend them in any sort of extended manner. Mm-hmm. That said, I camp a lot. And one of the things I like most about camping is that mm-hmm. I put my phone down and I don't engage and mm-hmm. I am doing other things with my body and mind. And that's mm-hmm. sort of emotionally detoxing. Yeah. yeah. Where do you camp? Uh, I haven't found a good place in New okay. York because I've only lived in New York a couple months. I don't oh, really? know. Because in Washington, you just yeah. drive 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And you're in a beautiful, amazing, spectacular countryside. Mm-hmm. Same with Illinois, I'd assume. Yeah. Yeah. Illinois is a lot of flat, so you can see the farmlands. <laughs> but you know when the farmlands stop, there's camping. Exactly. Yeah. That's fair. Like, I, I hear upstate's good for that. That's I've what been I hear too. wanting to go. Yeah. I desperately, like, I haven't been camping in several years, and I agree fully. And it's also this other, specifically, I think. New Yorkers have a very specific kind of depression that is also like synced in with the things we were talking about, like rhetoric and like being on social media. And it's also like we don't commune with nature at all. Mm. And we don't have any just moment of like you can just kind of relax. Um, but so just taking breaks in general, you're all for though, like vacations. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of times vacations, I mean, talking about mental illness, a lot of time, mm-hmm. I think people use vacations as a stopgap measure. If mm-hmm. they're stressed, they'll take a vacation rather than dealing with the thing that stresses them out. Sure. And that I think is a bad, that's a bad, that's a bad way of <laughs> that's doing a bad. it. <laughs> yeah. If, if Twitter is consistently depressing you, then taking breaks from it and then returning to mm-hmm. it isn't going to create long-term. Yeah positive mental health yeah yeah um i don't find twitter that upsetting all the time it's just sometimes it gets too much yeah Um, mostly i think it's great yeah i I would say in general like it's it's so it's all over the place um but also just but taking breaks in general do you do that in your other other parts of your life as well like needing to like just take time for yourself and like i guess we're essentially we're just talking about self-care yeah in general and like how do you implement that in your life um, that's a good question. I I try to uh, engage with media. I find that helps me a lot. Again, because mm-hmm. it's it's exercising the part of my brain that it can never be shut off, which is analyzing media all the time, yeah. anytime I'm listening or watching or seeing anything. And that is good for me, but also that is draining, which is mm-hmm. kind of why I like hiking as an alternative to that or camping, because... Mm-hmm. Nature is not mediated. Nature is not media. Unless you're going to a garden, I guess, which has its own 
you could argue tenuously is mediated. <laughs> I wouldn't, though. That's a bad take. Yeah. But <laughs> getting out... Because a mountain is just a mountain. Yeah. If you're looking at a picture of a mountain, that's mediated because somebody has taken that picture in a certain light, in a certain mm -hmm. angle, and there's always things to think about there. But if you're just, like, hiking and enjoying nature, that's its own pure, unmediated experience. And I think we all need to have unmediated experiences, mm -hmm. which might be leading back to, to your point about 20-year-olds, 20-somethings mm -hmm. having increased mental, mental illness, is that we're so often taking in messages that have been mediated and not having experiences for ourselves. Yeah. So instead of going out and... I don't know, learning how to do a backflip or something. Yeah, we yeah. just watch people do backflips on, on TV yeah, yeah. And, and expect that that represents an accurate depiction of the world, which almost never does. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And it's also just so hard in general getting any group of 20-somethings in a room just to, like, have fun. Yeah. Like, of like, hey, do you want to just come over and play some games? Or do you want to just go to a, a bar or a restaurant and talk? Because it feels like, well, what's the point? What are we what's the goal of the evening and it's nothing <laughs> it's to have a nice time the goal is to relax which yeah. is kind of difficult in its own right but um once again i know all this information because i follow you on twitter but didn't you just recently <laughs> like kind of take a break and watch a bunch of ds9 oh yeah, yeah. mainstreaming ds9 yeah yes and i would just like kind of going back to a point you made of like you like consuming media to kind of relax and Star Trek is chef's kiss, perfect mm. for that, because it's so optimistic. Yes. Can you talk about the mental health benefits of Star <laughs> Trek? <laughs> yeah, a lot of modern media in the last 10, 20 years is really gritty. Yes. It's gritty and it's dark and people die and you <laughs> feel things. Yeah. Things you might not want to feel. Yeah, looking at you, Breaking Bad. Yeah, or just any, just <laughs> anything. Like superhero movies mm -hmm. and it's just a lot of it is so hopeless and so mm -hmm. dark and so taking for granted that the apocalypse is going to happen or has already happened and so forth and so on. Yeah. And it's just like, I watch those shows, but it's always like, okay, okay, who's going to die though? What are you mm -hmm. going to, what are you going to sacrifice in order to get some sort of emotion from me? So yeah. before I was watching DS9 to put a finer point on this, I was watching Jessica Jones season two, which uh -huh. I got halfway through. Impeccable. Fantastic television. Yeah. Not good if you are depressed. Because <laughs> it's really just going to send you deeper down about how bad the world is. Yeah. Um, but I don't think the world's all that bad. Oh. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel about the world the way, same way I feel about humans, which is that they're often terrible, but I love them. And I mm -hmm. love the world even though it is often terrible. Mm -hmm. And I want to consume media that reflects that. And that's yeah. Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Because Star Trek is about wars and conflict but it's not hopeless yeah and deep space nine especially because uh, i haven't consumed a lot of other star trek so I, mm -hmm. that was a broad statement to make not backed up by good <laughs> academic research apologies but deep space nine is hopeful mm -hmm. they struggle and they come into conflict with each other and with other people but it doesn't stop them from doing what needs to be done and it doesn't destroy them emotionally and that's yeah just a relief to be able to watch yeah. a show that is hopeful absolutely um as someone who's watched all of tng your analysis is good it is hopeful okay. like as a, <laughs> okay that's good to yeah, hear. yeah yeah you weren't incorrect <laughs> <laughs> but so the, uh, yeah that I, I also find that with like 
um, like kid shows a lot of the time. Mm. And I think that's once again why I think a lot of 20 somethings are really, really into children's media of like Steven Universe and yeah. Adventure Time because it is so hopeful and joyful. And we, I really miss 90s movies in that way where like I know people it did not age well but I love Patch Adams <laughs> I love that pure joy of just like life is beautiful it is terrible it is everything but it is worth living hmm. and that's kind of circling back to what we're talking about of like that's how I think media can definitely positively influence mental health it's like it is beautiful and even like something like Lord of the Rings, even that's like more recent, is like, there's that whole, I can't go on, I can't go on, I have to go on, I have to go on, I can't go on, but it's going to be worth it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You have like some anxiety issues and some depressive issues. Um, when did they first start presenting themselves? Well, the anxiety is relatively new. I'll circle back to that. So depression is the, the one okay. I've been struggling with most okay. um, throughout my life. And I, I don't think I really became aware that... I was feeling things that are different from what other people feel. Yes. <laughs> Until uh, I think probably undergrad, I start to sort of become aware. Because mm -hmm. um, I read a lot of, you ever read Hyperbole and a Half? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, she writes a lot about depression mm -hmm. without calling it depression. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I read a lot of her stories and was like, yeah, that's that's just how everybody feels. <laughs> uh, and I, I didn't get officially diagnosed until grad school because uh -huh. um, most grad students suffer from some sort of mental yeah. illness because grad school is very draining and hard emotionally and bad for you emotionally. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but grad school was also the time when I had healthcare. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yes. So I was able to go into a therapist and be like, hey, this is what's happening with me. Yeah. What is happening? They were like, oh, yeah, you have depression. And I was like, oh. 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 Oh, no. That's okay. <laughs> I, but that was, it was really empowering. Yeah. Getting formally diagnosed. And I think that's something that more people should really take the step forward to. I know, I know therapy has a bad reputation and a lot of people yeah. have hesitation about going into therapists even if they've never gone I didn't I just went and then it was amazing and so helpful I cannot emphasize enough how important therapy is mm -hmm. and I, I think part of that is just getting that formal recognition like yes this is what you are suffering from depression I was not suffering from anxiety at that time mm -hmm. um, but that formal diagnosis I cannot emphasize enough is mm -hmm. so important. If you have not been formally diagnosed, I really strongly recommend that you do so if you have the capacity to. Yeah. Um, so e even though I had been depressed for years prior to that, mm -hmm. I had never gotten formally diagnosed, so I didn't really know what was happening or how to make adjustments in my life mm -hmm. to deal with that. So. I don't think there's anything like morally wrong with being depressed. It's just the way my brain is. Yeah. But without the understanding of that, I can't make adjustments in my life to compensate for it. Yeah. So I think it's just like with anything. Like if you're, <clears throat> I don't know, if you're very short and mm -hmm. you need to really reach tall, tall, tall shelves or whatever, yeah. you get a step stool and you move on with your life. It's yeah. not a big deal. I think depression is the same way. Is that mm -hmm. once I knew what was happening, I could learn how to. Uh, live with it. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I think the research part of having any mental illness is really 
the most formative part of like how you are going to tackle it for the rest of your life because it is one of those things of like it's kind of, it is a bummer where it's like it's not curable it's treatable it's something you're going to be dealing with till you die presumably and you're going to have days where you feel better and you don't and like and that's that's just life but i do think that like just moving forward like this is part of me and then you move forward and just like someone who has asthma is like oh i need an inhaler sometimes there you go moving on and also i think the thing you i agree getting a formal diagnosis is the first step to actually like there's that old thing the first step dealing with a problem is admitting you have one (laughs) you know it's that or acknowledging that it is a thing yeah yeah yeah. and because i don't think it's a problem it's just something you have to deal with because, but it is so powerful to have a name for it and to go, I have this thing and now I can research it. Now I can learn about this thing and therefore myself. What kind of therapy did you go to? Like CBT, talk therapy, what's going Just on? Just talk therapy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had a certain number of free sessions with our health okay. insurance. So, uh, so I made my way through those and then ended up leaving grad school. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was really important because it, it just... Being able to talk through, I, I've talked to other people who have gone to do therapy, and they're always mm-hmm. like, "Well, I did all the work. The therapist didn't help at all. I could have just done that on my own." And it's like, "Well, but you didn't, because <laughs> <laughs> you, you need a therapist." And yeah, and I think the thing about therapy that people don't understand, even talk therapy, which I think has a bad reputation, yeah, is that the therapist is asking really point, pointed and important questions that you don't know you need to be asked. Yeah, and it. And so going to talk therapy was really important because I was able to sort of dissect issues that had happened in my past that had caused me to be more withdrawn from humans. And this Mm -hmm. is leading back to what I said earlier in this episode, which is that I really love humans, but it is stressful engaging with them. Mm -hmm. And I was projecting that a lot on my friends and not engaging with them or talking with them or saying, hey, I'm really in a bad place. I need to talk right now. I was just saying they don't want to hear from me. Yeah. Nobody. I'm a burden. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much the tenor of my depression at that mm-hmm. time is that I, I'm a burden talking to people. I'm just burning them with my bad emotions and making mm. them feel worse. And yeah. 100% inaccurate <laughs> to reality. And and getting talking through my therapist with that was really important. And I think the the one of the weird things that happened after I, my first therapy session when I was finally officially diagnosed is I went on Facebook and I said, hey, everybody, I've got depression. <laughs> <laughs> I've been formally diagnosed and this is what's happening and uh. I, I'm going to try and make some changes. And then I had a bunch of people private message me on Facebook, a bunch of friends, yeah, and say, I suffer from depression and I have for years and it really means something that you came out and said something about it. That's really the change we need to see in the world. And I was yeah. like, okay, but if you've been suffering from depression for years... And not talking about it. How do you expect that change to happen? Yeah. I didn't think I was doing anything notable. It was just like, yeah. I, it, it was on par with saying like, I just got a new tattoo, everybody. Here's yeah, a picture yeah. of it. Here's a picture of my depression. Uh, <laughs> it's just a void. It's yeah. just a black void. Yeah, it's just a place where my heart should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's... It, talk therapy was so important because it, it also taught me how to engage with my friends who are depressed Mm -hmm. who need that additional emotional boost Mm -hmm. because not just the act of talking through those feelings is so beneficial to understanding them and and alleviating yourself of them yeah that absolutely makes sense and i think going back to something like 
you said about talk therapy is like, well, I didn't, I did all the work. The therapist didn't. That's the point. Is like it's, <laughs> it's like you're you're doing work for yourself, on yourself, so you live and feel better on a daily day. The other person just can guide you, and it's just like, I that's I feel like therapist doesn't the therapy doesn't have like a bad reputation but they just there's this skewed thing of like you go to it and then you go get fixed like any other doctor <laughs> yeah. where it's like it's more like i th- i think going to like a, a rabbi or a priest and like getting advice it basically it's like here's someone that knows more than you and you're talking to them <laughs> and you, they give you an opinion and they try to suss out and i think this is important an objective truth about you which is i imagine is a was incredibly helpful to you and I found incredibly helpful as well of just like what is the truth basically (laughs) I I had a friend who was getting Mm -hmm. in undergrad who was getting his degree in psychology and Mm -hmm. something that he said to me that stuck with me that I don't necessarily think is entirely true but I think Mm -hmm. is a good way of thinking about it is that mental illness is when somebody perceives reality in a different way from other people Mm-hmm. So, and and that's not exactly how they phrased it, but it, it it I think it's interesting that it's an interesting way of acknowledging that our perspective on the world isn't always accurate. So when I went into therapy and said my friends don't care about me, I don't want to burden them, that's not what was happening. That yeah. was something that I felt, but was not an accurate representation of the world at large. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really. A, a key way of helping me sort of step back from my emotions sometimes and yeah. say, I feel miserable. I I don't think anybody cares about me or loves me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, uh, I'm just not a productive human being. I'm not a worthwhile human being. Stepping back and saying, okay, I feel those things, but why? Mm-hmm. How, what have I interpreted? What did somebody say to me that they might mean something entirely different? Yeah. And I have taken it this way because it's reaffirming these bad feelings I have about myself. Mm-hmm. So trying to step back and understand other people's perspectives is, I think, an important part. It's an important part of empathy and the human experience, but also an important part of mental illness mm-hmm. and separating that experience of your reality with other people's experiences of reality. Mm-hmm. That's hard, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a hard one. It's like um, like mild, productive disassociation. It's yeah. like really weird. But it's also, the thing I always kind of think about is like, just play yourself like you would in a video game. Like, just like, take take a step back and go, well, this is what happened. What choice are you going to make? Are you going to mm. like, and that sort of thing. The way I've found to combat it is like, the default setting for me is like, for a very long time, was uh, this person does not like me. And I still have like a lot of, issues blah 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 blah. I'm not going to get into it because that's not the point of this program (laughs) but of uh like the default setting is someone says something to me they don't like me whereas like you're going to make a blanket assumption no matter what when someone communicates with you Mm -hmm. in general so it might as well be the best possible way Hmm. like oh that person meant it as a compliment I don't care like just (laughs) like if it's it's arbitrary anyway but it is like you're actually also touching on something that's really interesting in regards to the thing your friend said of like it's someone who views the world differently than what's actually going on. But that's true of everybody to a certain dis- degree because you have experiences that dictate dictate your subjectivity of, like, facts. Yeah. Which 
so it, it's, this kind of sounds like a cop-out, but that's why, like, mental illness is kind of like a spectrum as well. is because, like, everyone does feel bad, and therefore their day is bad. Right. And so it's, it's, it's not to devalue what that person said, but it's also true of neurotypical people. Mm-hmm. And that's just how communication works, I feel like. <laughs> well, I, let me put a finer point on that sure. because this is a, a another thing that I, I hear a lot, mm-hmm. I, objective versus subjective reality. Yeah. Uh, because we are limited in our tools of understanding reality because we only have so many senses and we can only take in so much information, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here, here's the thing though. If I say something to you like, nice haircut, mm-hmm. that means something. I'm trying to communicate something to you very specific. And mm-hmm. maybe that thing is nice. It was. Or <laughs> maybe that's mean. Maybe I was being sarcastic. Or maybe I wasn't even really thinking about you at all. I was just like, wanted to say something to you. Or I was just trying to get your attention. My, mm-hmm. I have intentions when I communicate. Yeah. And my intentions are sent out into the world and then they are interpreted by other people. Mm-hmm. And if I'm feeling depressed, somebody can say something to me that they have an intention, mm-hmm. an objective intention behind. And the way that I interpret that is a variety of things. If I'm depressed, I might interpret it more negatively than mm-hmm. I would normally. They might have meant something nice or something mean or something neutral or some entirely different thing. Mm-hmm. But they have an objective purpose. Mm-hmm. They might not be necessarily aware of that. And this is where everything gets so complicated. Mm-hmm. Is I can say something like nice haircut and I can just mean nice haircut. Mm-hmm. Or I can mean, oh, you get a haircut. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a choice. Mm-hmm. Or I could just be somewhere else. But there is an objective thing I am trying to express. Yeah. And so when you have communication, you have somebody communicating something to you and you have you receiving that communication. And there are about a hundred different ways that that communication can go wrong at every, every given moment. Yeah. And the express, the, the, the experience of being mentally ill creates more roadblocks in that communication chain and more, more levees and more things that can dam up that communication and sort of direct it in one negative way. Yeah. So yes, reality is subjective and our experiences are subjective, but if we're communicating with each other, it's not as subjective as we think it is. Yeah. But if you're mentally ill, I think you have to put more effort into communicating and, and trying to understand. So if somebody says nice haircut and you spend three hours trying to figure out what they meant from that, that's a huge mental yeah. and emotional burden. When you can just say, hey, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Did you mean that I had a nice haircut? Mm-hmm. And that person might say, yeah. What um, are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe because they're not mentally ill. Yeah. Or because they said it and didn't think about it twice. Mm-hmm. Or they meant something mean and, and communicating and engaging with them about that. Mm-hmm. can clarify that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And it is like the more forthright you can be about everything. And it is a certain level of like, I feel like a lot of people are being very candid about like, well, I don't, I'm anxious right now or whatever, or like whatever the case may be. And I think that's really good. And I think there's a lot of neuro 
typical backlash of like, hey, I don't need to know that. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. You do. <laughs> because otherwise I'm going to be acting inexplicably and you're going to get mad at me because all of a sudden I'm crying in the corner and you don't know what happened. Right. And so you have to have some context. And that's the thing that I like. I don't have a lot of social anxiety, but my main one is just I want to give you a context of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I think that's like everything. And that's why like I do this thing. I, that's why I do stand up. It's like, here's here's a little bubble of like... <laughs> Please try to understand. <laughs> yeah. And well, I think that's part of the importance of getting diagnosed and being able to have that as a tool. Mm -hmm. But all that getting diagnosed is, again, a one side of a coin. And the other side of that is people have to understand what it means if I say I'm, I'm depressed. Yeah. And that's been one of the most bonkers things that have come <laughs> from getting depressed or getting diagnosed yeah. is that. Uh, so the person I was dating when I got diagnosed, I, mm -hmm. I, I came home and I said, hey, I'm, di I'm, I'm depressed. <laughs> Let me tell sure. you about it. Um, but he had an idea about what being depressed was. He yeah. thought it was just being sad. Mm -hmm. He did not have a fully rounded concept of what mental illness is, which I yeah. think is very, very, very common. Yes. So we ended up, I mean, we broke up not long after for a lot of reasons. But one of them being, he thought being depressed was just being sad yeah and that he could just tell me a couple jokes or we could watch some sort of funny movie and i wouldn't be sad anymore mm -hmm. and it it he didn't listen to me when i said no it's not sadness it's like a lack of emotion like i just yeah. don't feel anything mm -hmm. and so i think there that's the 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 two sides is that i can say i'm depressed mm -hmm. and i can communicate that forthrightly saying yep. that's just i just need you to know that so that if you see something and you're like, that's weird. It, mm -hmm. it might be because I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. But if that other person doesn't know what that means, and I think that's maybe the biggest hurdle we are facing mm -hmm. in mental illness in America today, is that somebody can say, I suffer from anxiety or mm -hmm. I have OCPD or anything along those lines. But if you don't know what that really means, mm -hmm. then it just it just means you're making excuses for yourself. And that's obviously not the case. Yeah, yeah, um, and it is it is difficult uh, with that as well. I'd like uh, as someone like I'm on the bipolar spectrum, and so I said that to someone I knew a couple of years ago. And number one, he was really surprised, I'm like, because you're happy most of the time. I'm like, no, I'm energetic. There's a difference. <laughs> number one, number two, it's like the second thing is like, so what? You just get like really mad sometimes. I'm like, no, that yeah, but that's everybody. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's nothing you okay. So here's a book, <laughs> and then people don't want to read a book, right? And that's one of the things of like going, like going back to like that's why why I'm doing this, mm -hmm. and that's why I'm doing like I do stand up centered wholly on mental health, and it's because can I give a brief synopsis? Right. It's kind of like someone goes, okay, well, what happens in Lord of the Rings? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Buckle in. <laughs> how can I do this in five minutes? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I definitely agree, like, people need to understand what that means. And I think, um, and this doesn't de devalue anyone's experience or anything, but like the most common forms of mental illness in America are depression and anxiety. And that's a really good starting point. And I think if we start like educating the general public on what that means it it'll just make everything better and what's really beautiful is like 
the people, the young people that are coming up now, they know more about it. Yeah. And like, I sound like a 50 something year old. But it's <laughs> like they know more than me and it's wonderful. Because like, once again, because of the internet and we're all sharing our this experience, which is really, really beautiful. So I think in a few generations, it'll kind of like keel out or hopefully <laughs> it will be closer to Star Trek. Um, <laughs> well, and to, to thematically tie things neatly in a bow, here mm-hmm. comes the, the question of mediation and that... Yeah. We have a lot of depictions of mental illness yeah. in our media, especially in horror media, mm-hmm. where it, we have people who are depicted who are not really mentally ill in a real sense, but who get a label slapped on them, like yeah. bipolar or like just anything, like yeah. picket. And, or or I, I see, see this with OCD a lot. People yeah. who's like, oh, I'm so OCD. I noticed mm-hmm. that this one label was slightly different from the rest of these labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, <laughs> no, that's not what that is. <laughs> no, that's just pattern recognition. Yeah, and that's that something all humans do. Yeah, yeah it's pretty basic. Uh, so I, I think we have... I think we have a situation where there's a lot of media that talks about, and please, audience, imagine massive air quotes now, mental illness <laughs> that have absolutely nothing to do with lived experiences of mental illness yeah. and that are just using it to sensationalize or mm-hmm. to shorthand a character, um, mm-hmm. like your your like classical anxious character who's, oh, yeah. oh I have to bow, tie my bow tie in a certain way. It's yeah. like, but that's not real. And I think... I think we're starting to see, like you're saying, more stories that are created by people who experience mental illness, mm-hmm. about mental illness, mm-hmm. and or uh, acknowledging it as just sort of a part of your lives, not a defining character trait. Yeah. I think that's really, really one of the most important things, is that we mm-hmm. need accurate depictions of mental illness by people who are mentally ill. And we also need people who are not mentally ill to listen to mentally ill people when they describe their feelings and symptoms and emotions. That's Yes, I agree with that. And I also, I think... I think in general with uh, American media specifically, we're having a whole kind of reboot with a lot of people or who are like in minority clumps, Mm. like where that is happening, where they're like, this is how we live. This is what this is like. And it's because there's well-made art or media. It's becoming popular. And I think that's fantastic Mm. because the more we can learn about each other, the more accurately we can communicate, which is going back to the thing. Um, also, on that note, as something I did want to bring up, but we the conversation went somewhere else, <laughs> of like um, communicating with yourself and like having empathy to you, mm-hmm. I think is such an important thing. And when you were in therapy, did you guys talk about um, like self-talk or anything like that? Do you do any of those techniques? Yeah. How do you do that? Like journaling is something mm-hmm. I'm very fond of. Yeah. I don't do it all the time. Um, just because it's hard, it's a hard regular habit for me to get into personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm feeling especially stressed, I will stop and I'll take a piece of paper and a pen and I'll just try to write out as much as I possibly can about how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling. And if I if I feel a thread, then I try to follow that thread and really explore as much as possible what I'm feeling and why. Mm-hmm. And it always makes me feel better. And I think that's that's part of it is that if you were mentally ill sometimes you can get in these rhetorical circles where you think somebody doesn't like you so you pull away and because you pull away they have less contact with you and because they have less contact you think they don't like you and so it's really easy to get on these weird treadmills of thought that Mm -hmm. are very bad for you Mm -hmm. but stopping and and having empathy for yourself and saying well i just need to take a break and telling people i just need to take a break Mm -hmm. is really 
an important way of stepping off that treadmill. Mm-hmm. So I think having empathy for yourself and not getting too hard on yourself is kind of the cornerstone of self-care. Yeah. And self-care gets a lot of, I think, <laughs> occasionally some bad rap for being like, drink eight glasses of water a day, self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, that is good for you. You should yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exercise and, and uh, emotional release and, and eating yeah. well and sleeping well are all parts of healthcare. Yeah. Uh, self-care. But it just having... Just not being too hard on yourself. Yeah. Just letting yourself be weak. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. Just be cool. It's fine. <laughs> Just chill. Just don't be... Yeah. The world's going to be really hard on you. Mm-hmm. And you can't be too hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I've always said you get one person that you live your whole life with. It's you. You better like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everyone else will leave you or go away. <laughs> but you, at the end of the day, you have to deal with you. Yeah. But yeah, it is that. And then like, I think... I mean, like, I also think there's, like, this weird, once again, going to rhetoric, specifically online rhetoric, of, like, self-care being, like, I had a cake today. (laughs) A whole cake for me. Which, like, no, that's actually terrible. It's really bad for you, yeah. Being kind to yourself isn't the same thing as indulging yourself. And I think people... There's this weird sort of quasi thing of like, I'm just this way. I should let myself be myself. And it's like, I hear what you're saying. You should accept yourself. (laughs) But if those are negative qualities, you should not do them. Otherwise, we will call you an asshole because that's what that means. And you don't get to decide whether or not you are, which is kind of, I think, an interesting place we've found ourselves. I think and I do absolutely I think the vocality about it is a generational thing, but I mm. think also every generation has been that way of like, I just oh, want to yeah. do what I want. Like, that's what people are. They're just like monsters that want to do what they want. <laughs> sometimes you have to negotiate that, you know? Yeah. One of the weirdest things that happened to me after I got diagnosed, because again, yes. just to emphasize, I just told everybody. It was, yeah, yeah. Like, it was like I was starting a new job. Like, I'm depressed. So I called up my mom and I said, hey, mom, <laughs> I've started doing therapy. It turns mm-hmm. out I'm depressed. This is what's happening. And my mm-hmm. mom was like, oh, that's really interesting because I've also have done therapy and I'm also depressed. And like, I knew, like mm. I knew my mom has uh, her own host of mental illnesses that mm-hmm. are more or less undiagnosed mm-hmm. um, and really ought to be. Mm. But she never talked about it or told me about it or, yeah. and which is weird because we talk about our, our family health because uh, heart disease is a big mm-hmm. thing in my family. So that's something my mom talked to me about and was like, just, you know, keep an eye on your heart pressure or mm-hmm. your blood pressure and whatnot. Um, but that was not ever a health concern that it occurred to her to talk through. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you talk about generational issues, I think that's really the key is that even though therapy has existed for a quite a long time now, I think there is still a hesitancy to engage with it. We're not supposed to want to talk through our emotions, our, our feelings, especially mm-hmm. for men, but for mm-hmm. everybody. We're not supposed to want to talk through these or admit that we have weakness or that we need help, but like you do. Everybody does. Everybody, I think I think mandatory therapy would be a good thing. I think everybody should have at least five free therapy sessions where they sit through and just talk things out. And maybe mm-hmm. at the end of that, you discover that you're, you know, you've got a good handle on things. Your brain mm-hmm. doesn't produce weird chemicals at weird times that send you into weird mental states. Mm-hmm. And maybe you discover that, no, this is something you need to be aware of. Yeah. You know, you need to be getting exercise regularly because that helps your brain chemistry and mm-hmm. it keeps you on track. Yeah. 
And I think two things that I really like that what you said is one is like it's a health issue because it is it is yeah. like and what's the kind of the scary the flip side of that what's kind of scary about that is the fact that like a lot of it's a life-threatening health issue which i don't think we acknowledge nearly enough yeah because like this is kind of morbid but like i was reading <laughs> a, a book about uh, bipolar depression and it's like okay if you're a man if you're bipolar too which is what i'm at and if you're on either an uh an addict or alcoholic or recovering mm you're more likely to kill yourself than not. I'm like, cool, that's a fun demographic to be in. <laughs> nice. Oh, I live with that fear every day. Because it's just like, okay. Um, like, where's that on the, uh, what is it, Nielsen rating? Come on. Um, but yeah, it, it, talking about it as like a health issue as well, it's like, I think the first step, because it is, and I've talked to other people who do think they're mentally ill, but don't think they that should or they acknowledge that they're depressed but they don't want to be called mentally ill or they don't want to deal with it and they say don't believe that it's the same as like a regular health issue because mm. they're like it's not like quote unquote life threatening I'm like it can be though yeah and it's a very serious condition specifically anything like depression and anxiety like I said they're common they're very they're still very serious but specifically something like anxiety is really treatable it's like really low level it's like melanoma like you yeah. just get rid of it yeah whereas like something like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder is like no this could this could kill someone or more than one person if it goes out and treated which is really a horrifying thing to think about but it is very it's deadly serious and it's something i don't think we've fully accepted we're in the first we've done the first hurdle <laughs> of that and I think that's really important and good and I think that going to your point why diagnosis is so important and I think why telling people I think that's a very like I don't think I I don't think it's necessarily a brave thing you did which is I think what a lot of neurotypical people would say it is which is I think ridiculous um yeah. like people who get shot at they're brave we're, <laughs> we're just breathing over here yeah um but it was a very good and kind thing to do for a lot of people so I think that's just very I, I don't know like congratulations on making a good cho <laughs> a good life choice I don't know I don't think it was brave either because I didn't really realize that it was yeah. it, like it was just if if something happens to you, you just tell people, especially if you just went through a therapy session that yeah. was all about how you don't talk to people about big life stuff that's mm -hmm. going on with you. So mm -hmm. I don't I think it's basically just what everybody should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. The more open I think people are in general, the more effective communication is. And then also like uh, going back to the therapy thing, I think therapists kind of provide a service that is lost when you're an adult unless you have a very good like romantic partner or a best friend where you can just like hash things out mm. because i think it's very similar to when you're a child and you feel bad when you get your feelings hurt generally speaking you can go to one of your two parents if you have two or whatever you can go to your um person that's taking care of you and you can go such and such upset me or this happened and we lose that as an adults because not to get too like social political about it because like capitalism is like <laughs> basically it's like just shut up and work and just don't feel just yeah. be part of the machine please and i think that has a lot of negative impacts on mental health in general but that's another conversation and <laughs> would take another hour and a half which i don't want to make you do because <laughs> dealing with people 
people. <laughs> I love them. They're the worst. Yes. I think that's life. Just, <laughs> it's beautiful and terrible at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, um, going to the beginning, the very beginning. Well, you actually, you, you, know, you tricked me. Um, <laughs> you tricked me. You said you'd get back to the anxiety. Can you talk about that? Oh, like, yeah. Because we just kind of... <laughs> away from that yeah anxiety is something that's new to me i mean mm-hmm. like within the last couple of months i've just sort of become aware that right around you moved to new york um bef- before i've just yeah. recently become aware that this is an okay. issue it, but in hindsight much like with depression in hindsight it i can see how this has have, had an effect on things it, it's yeah. just that i wasn't able to look back and say oh that's why that happened that's why this uh-huh. happened and and it's so it's yeah, I've, I've recently come to terms with the effect that anxiety has had on my life. I, I like to travel a lot. Yeah. And I have a lot of anxiety about traveling sure. that I mitigate by planning ridiculously, uh-huh. incredibly, unbelievably specific. So, like, I'm going to eat at this restaurant on this day and, and so oh, forth. Wow. I'm going to stay at this place. And, like, I very rarely stick to those plans. But having those plans is very important. And I so I was in November. I was in China. And I had done a ton of research, making sure my phone was going to work in China, making mm-hmm. sure I had a, a, a VPN so I was able to connect to the internet and everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of it worked. So I landed in China. Uh, it was about midnight. I got to the hostel and I had no way of communicating with anybody in America. I had no way of accessing any of my plans. Oh, no. Except that I had printed them out because I was very anxiety ridden. <laughs> and always, so I had all of literally every information, piece of information I needed printed out mm-hmm. and on me. But that first night, because I wasn't able to contact my partner and say, hey, I'm alive. I'm in China. I have not been mm-hmm. arrested. Yeah. <laughs> Anything along those lines. I couldn't sleep. I was so nauseated and oh, I was no. so like jittery. Yeah. And in hindsight, that's not. That's not great. No. <laughs> that's, that is an expression of anxiety. And yeah. so, and that's, I think, another interesting aspect is that I don't, I uh, looking back farther, I don't think this was as much of an issue. But when I started traveling more, mm-hmm. it has definitely become more of an issue in my day-to-day life. And mm-hmm. like worth it because traveling is very good. And if you yeah. can, it's worth it. Um, but I, I've, I now understand, like, okay, I need to go back into therapy regularly and find out new strategies for mm-hmm. dealing with my anxiety. That's fantastic that yeah. you have that forethought. Yeah. Um, and regarding your depression and so forth, um, do you take any medication or is it just therapy and just kind of homeopathic, like <laughs> going hiking, have some tea, watch some Star Trek? Yeah, I don't take any medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the other things about nice things about therapy is you can also get a gauge of how severe your mental yeah. illness. So I have um, the last time I was diagnosed was about this time last year. Mm-hmm. And let me try to remember the exact phrasing because I thought it was really interesting. Mild cases of severe depression. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a little oxymoronical there, but okay. Yeah, and so uh, what that basically means is that I do suffer depression severe enough to make me suicidal on occasion. Yeah. But not frequently enough that I need to be on medication. I I can Mm -hmm. mitigate that severity by practicing good lifestyle. So exercising regularly. Yeah. Eating properly, not letting mm. myself not eat because I'm too depressed. Yeah. Um, just behaviors like this, not getting too obsessive, journaling, mm-hmm. talking to people are enough to mitigate, uh, in therapy, are enough to mitigate my, my mental illness that I don't need to 
uh, medication at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, in the future, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, mental illness is sort of a moving target. And it's something you got to keep your eye on because it'll it'll change and it'll get better and, and it'll get worse. And, mm -hmm. you know, you just got to roll with it. Yeah, I think that's a very good point of like, I, I'm not on, on medication either. And I think a lot of people go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, you should, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, everyone, it's just only Harrison Ford. Uh -huh. so, so maybe you should do that. Anyway, <laughs> but it is one of those things of like. I think depending on the severity, I think, and like, that's also like, once again, viewing it as a health issue, because you wouldn't say, oh, you like, I've, I've broken a toe, you need a full body cast. <laughs> you would never do that. But yeah, um, that's, that's, I'm glad that it's that case, though, as well, because that's, I think, very manageable and very hopeful of like, you can also, I've known people who have been on medication, and then it's gotten better. Yeah. And you can kind of just slowly fade it out. Which is nice. Yeah, I think medication also has a horrible, horrible reputation, it which does. is entirely undeserved. Again, mm -hmm. and is only because we consider mental illness something different from physical illness. But like, yeah. if you're, if you have high high blood pressure, you can mitigate that with lifestyle stuff. And mm -hmm. if it's severe enough, you might need medication. That's not. Mm -hmm. It's not a failing. It's not a personal failing. It's not anything. It's just the thing that you need to do to keep on living. It's yeah. fine. It's yeah. just fine. Absolutely. I will say, like, I did kind of miss back. I recently, like, a few years ago, I was having really bad panic attacks, and I um, got, went to a GP and got, like, um, what turned out to be, like, very low-level Xanax, <laughs> which I would lost for years, but then my anxiety spiked again, and then I started taking it when I, because it's, like, as needed, and I have to say, awesome stuff, fantastic. <laughs> it was one of those things of, like, I also have, um, I have like ADHD symptoms, which is kind of fun. Um, but it's like one of those things of like, oh, this allowed me to calm down and focus in a way that I have never known before mm. of just, oh, I'm relaxed. And in my mind, I'm still running at a speed where I can plan ahead, but I don't feel like I'm about to die. <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. Pretty important, yeah. yeah. Feeling like you're not dying, which is <laughs> because, you know, I mean, any moment that you can't not feel that way, because we all are, but anyway, that's not the point. So, <laughs> but it is really, really what, because it's, and that's another thing of like, I feel like people think you have to be like either medicated or unmedicated, whereas like, I use it for one thing. Right. Everything else is manageable, but that one thing, just like the same way, like as someone who has asthma, is like, okay, I'll use my inhaler when I need it. Right. When I exert myself, which I think is really, really important to think about. Um, the thing I was going to loop back to before I interrupted myself and said you tricked <laughs> me was um, going back to like media studies and that sort of thing. You have a, um, you've been a part of a, what is it called? The M Museum of Moving Image, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you, I, can you, I'm just curious, how did that happen? I want to <laughs> go and it looks amazing. It is so cool. So the, uh, so I work for Polygon. Yeah. It's a video game website on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and we, one of our, one of the people who works for Polygon has had contact with people at the Museum of the Moving Image before. Mm -hmm. So they were working on this project about new genres that have been basically created, not created by YouTube, but have become popularized by YouTube. So ASMR, unboxing, the mm. vlog, uh, all of these which are, are relatively new genres yeah. um, and are replacing things like sitcoms and yeah. hour-long dramas uh, as, as, a, as a major source of entertainment. Mm -hmm. So they were working on a, a, 
a curated exhibition on that and they wanted mm. some videos about them so they contacted us and uh i was recent recently hired at polygon in january mm -hmm. and having a master's degree made me a good choice for this sort of uh museum academic project yeah so uh i sort of took the took the charge on that and mm -hmm. that's been really fascinating yeah i learned that i love asmr it's the greatest <laughs> thing that's ever happened on the internet noted yeah. noted it's wonderful yeah it's fantastic <laughs> it's so like but that is so like that must have been so exciting specifically as someone who has a master's in like new media like that must have been like you i'm sure you jumped at the chance to be like oh i get to use the thing i went to school for yes yes and to get to be in a museum Which i don't is... probably nobody i went to grad school with will ever be in a museum so, so that's suck weird. It. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's up academia i'm in a museum come at me you can't you can't yeah. even <laughs> that's so fantastic good. it looks really interesting as well and as someone like who is in like kind of new media because i do like a couple of video essays and stuff like that as well as the podcast of like it's so weird how the internet changed how we do art and how we do media and how we talk because it's so new and that's so exciting yeah. to me and so i want to go see it thank you it's very cool looking mm -hmm. yes cool uh well we're wrapping up now okay unless there is anything you need want desire to say that you didn't no. say already i said a lot i said a lot of things a lot I... of very good things jenna okay that's god that's good to hear sometimes <laughs> when i'm talking i just uh zone out and i say <sighs> things and then but that's really exciting it's good for podcasting especially ones that i have to edit because then you go back and you listen and you're like i can't believe i said any of these things. <laughs> so i look forward to listening to this episode and hearing what i heard what yeah. i said good <laughs> good i'm glad i'm always that way as well i edit all the podcasts i'm like oh well but for me it always manifests like why well, just say that thing. <laughs> yeah. that's an off-color joke that's not cool anymore but um or whatever the case may be i'm like why'd you use that word no one likes hearing why did you say that word that way Ugh. why did you use that word that's the wrong word yeah, yeah don't mm, bad. yeah nothing i want to preface nothing terrible just like <laughs> i like a swear that's nasty sounding like ugh, no one mm -mm. nasty swear yeah <laughs> Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, this has thank been you delightful. for having me. I'm a fan well. of this podcast. I really oh, like all the episodes you. I've listened to. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Share it around. Yes. <laughs> you bet. You cannot be down, but you